middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. This is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. I'm Tommy Castor. Weston Mills is with me today, and we're coming back off of the Thanksgiving weekend back for another edition of Keeper of the Games. Weston, did you have a good holiday? Tommy, I pulled off a success, successful stakes giving, so I Good. cannot complain. Um, I spent it just with my parents and then my uh, my sister and her husband, but uh, my sister and her husband couldn't make it over till Friday. So on Thursday, actual Thanksgiving, talked my parents into doing steaks, some filet mignon, sweet potato. Very fantastic. Hope Hope some of our listeners had the opportunity to maybe throw a steak on the grill during Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, I actually think that that is going to catch on or at least it should catch on because <laughs> you know, I do like I like turkey and I love turkey sandwiches like after the holiday, but there's something about a, like a good fillet or a good ribeye on Thanksgiving that just I don't it, it got me excited when you mentioned it. I didn't get to do it, but I'm going to have to do it in future years. Yeah, I am I'm, I'm with you and and like you said, I'm I'm actually a big ribeye guy or Casey strip more so than than fillet, but uh somehow my parents have become bougie over the the last few years, so <laughs> had to do fillet for for them uh but uh you know, I prefer a ribeye, but any steak will do on Thanksgiving. If you do a ribeye, uh I mean obviously ribeyes are great, you know, regardless, but if you can do a good fillet, I would say a a good fillet and a great ribeye are probably neck and neck, at least in my opinion. Like you can screw up a fillet pretty easily, but we're not here to talk steak. We're here to talk <laughs> sports. And uh, that's what we're doing here on Keeper of the Games. Want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you'll get a notification. Of course, you can listen to us on all major podcast platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, all the major ones. Basically, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, you can catch Keeper of the Games right there. You can also go to our new website, cogsports.com, K-O-G-Sports.com. You can listen to our episodes there, watch videos, uh, find out more about the podcast, a lot more right there, cogsports.com. Of course, you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G Pod. So Weston, on Thanksgiving, we kind of switched away from the NFL, at least I did, I don't know about you, switched away from the NFL for a little while to go and watch KU basketball. The Jayhawks kicked off their season on Thanksgiving Day from Fort Myers Florida as they took on the number one team in America, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. The Jayhawks lost that game by a final score of 102 to 90. The very next day, they played St. Joseph's again in Fort Myers, Florida. They won that game 94-72. And on Tuesday night, the Jayhawks defeated the 20th ranked Kentucky Wildcats in a grinder in Indianapolis in the Champions Classic. Final score of that game was 65 to 62. So from the last week, from the last time we had uh, our previous episode with Gary Bedore from the Kansas City Star, where we previewed KU basketball, the Jayhawks have played three games in one week. They played two ranked opponents, and they're two and one after the first three games of the season. We're going to dive into each one of these games and and really get into the nitty gritty on that. But how would you assess where the Jayhawks stand after the first three games? Uh, You know, kind of about where expected, I I guess, to some degree, it's not a young team. Um, Obviously, they do have some some freshmen stepping in playing minutes, but I I think there's a lot 
of moving parts here. You've got Marcus Garrett moving into the one. You know, you've got McCormick taking kind of that dominant uh, minutes at the at the five man role. Um, so it kind of creates. It really just creates this. Um, new dynamic that they're, they're learning and trying to gel with. Right. So uh, you saw Jalen Wilson, get some big minutes, Bryce Thompson, get some big minutes. Um, uh, Tyon, Tyon Foster played some minutes in the first game and then kind of disappeared after that. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my takeaway w- was initially that, right? Like, Hey, it's not a young team, but there's a lot of moving parts here. A lot of new guys playing in different spots or roles that they're going to kind of have to gel and figure out, Hey, how do we, how do we work this out together? Um, and then my second, my, my the second thing that I noticed, uh, you know, right off the bat is who's, who's going to be the guy, right? We talked about that with Gary Bedore and just kind of each game, you, you saw a different guy step up, um, which is fine, but you know, I think you do need to have that guy that you can always rely on to come back and say, Hey, wh- you know, you, you got to take charge and, and get us five points here you know, take us through a stretch where you you're going to be the guy, no matter who, who is hot on the court. We didn't really see that. Um, you know, I think a lot, we saw a lot of opportunities for a couple of different guys. Obviously Jalen Wilson had a huge game uh, last night against Kentucky. I mean, boy, he looked like he could be an absolute star in the making. Christian Braun had 30 and nine against St. Joe. Uh, you know, when he gets hot, you know, he's, he very well, he could go off for 30 multiple games throughout the season that I wouldn't expect it to be the last. And then we saw in the very first game against Gonzaga, you know, kind of that more traditional Marcus Garrett led the way with 22 points. Um, and it was a very quiet 22. I, after looking at the box score, it kind of surprised me, but, uh, so as you can see, we, we kind of each game, they had a different guy and, and, and I think that's fine, but ultimately I think you kind of have to have someone established that even if, you know, this player or that player is hot for the game, you've got a tough two minute stretch where you've got to get a couple buckets. You know what guy you're going to. And, and, and we're not there yet. We don't know who that's going to be yet. So I think that's, you know, something to watch uh, as we kind of move forward. The Jayhawks are a, a great basketball team already. Uh, and I, I, believe that from day one. Um, They've got a lot of weapons. They're an incredibly versatile team at this point. Um, You know, I know that a lot of Jayhawk fans were really dismayed about the result of the Gonzaga game. The Bulldogs are a really good team. Now, I will say at the time of this recording, they were actually losing to West Virginia. I I don't know the final score, uh, but I know Jalen Suggs, uh, their talented freshman, was injured early in the first half, so that might have had something to do with it. But but yeah, the the Bulldogs were incredibly impressive on Thanksgiving Day against Kansas. And my, my rebuttal to people that were concerned about the way that the Jayhawks looked against Gonzaga was, you know what? Yeah. Okay. They gave up 102 points, but they gave up 102 points to an offensive juggernaut in Gonzaga. And they hung 90 points on the number one team in America. So I don't think that there was a ton to be concerned about after the Gonzaga game. And you saw pretty even distribution. You mentioned the 22 points that Marcus Garrett put up. Ochai Abaji put up 17 points in that game. I thought Bryce Thompson looked awesome in that opening game uh, against Gonzaga. Um, I think, you know, he's kind of had a quiet couple of games since, uh, but I think he's, uh, you mentioned Jalen Wilson being a star in the making. I think Bryce Thompson is uh, as well. So just a lot of weapons for this Jayhawks team and a lot of different ways that that, that, the, the, the team can score. You saw that against St. Joseph, but I think most importantly, when you look at the Kentucky game on Tuesday night, uh, you know, 
that was a, a slugfest. It was a knockdown, drag out fight. It was ugly. And I think it's it's more impressive that the Jayhawks can win a game 65 to 62 than they can win a game by scoring 90 points or 90 plus. Uh, and so, you know, I, I really what I like about this team is the fact that they can win when they score a lot of points, but they can also win in, in a in a slugfest as well. Yeah, no, and that and that is for sure. But I, I definitely, you know, something else that I I think we're gonna see unfold this year. This might be Bill Self's toughest coaching job he's had in a long time, because like you mentioned, you know, I you know I I pointed out Jalen Wilson looking like a, ma- a star in the making. You pointed out Bryce Thompson looking like a star in, in the making. Dwan Harris, who yeah. came off the bench, played really really well. You know, with the few minutes he got. Um, you know, Mitch Lightfoot, our, our fifth year senior, he really only played a little bit here and there. I think he's got a lot of guys that can play and he's got to figure out one, you know, who works together, who deserves the most minutes. And then he's going to have to have some very, very tough decisions about playing or not playing guys that, you know, may otherwise, you know, expect that they were going to get minutes uh, in particular. And I would love to get your thoughts. Uh, the guy that I am the most curious about is what he's going to do with David McCormick. I, I, I get it's three games. He has not played well in any of the three, at least in my opinion. But I, I he is a player that I have just not really seen anything out of really his tenure at Kansas. And I just don't, I'm not sure if what I'm missing that bill self certainly sees in him. I know we've, we, we have, we saw stretches last year where McCormick played well, obviously that's kind of, you know, in the shadow of Azabuki. Um, but he's going to be a problem because if he doesn't figure it out and bill continues to march him out there, he hurts, he hurts the Jayhawks when he's on the floor, they're forcing the ball into him. And he's doing nothing with it. You know, there's multiple times when you saw whether it was, you know, I'm thinking Marcus Garrett, I'm thinking Christian Brown, um, you know, uh, Jalen Wilson. When they drove into the lane, uh, God, why am I drawing a blank right now? The big man, McCormick, McCormick, sorry. Dad brain, I guess. Um, (laughs) McCormick. McCormick's guy, who was the guy who was guarding McCormick, was able to come over help side. And, and how many times do we see our blo- our shot blocked against Kentucky? You yeah. know, and that's because McCormick's guy felt free to leave him at any moment to go help in the lane because they know he's not going anywhere outside that block, even though he can, or we've been told he can shoot with a little bit more distance. But something's got to give there. Either he's got to play less minutes, or he's got to play better because. That's going to be a, a problem moving forward. You mentioned what does Bill Self see in David McCormick? I don't think that it's as much as Bill Self seeing something in David McCormick as it is Bill Self seeing something in that position. You know, Bill yeah. Self is adamant that he wants to play through the post. That's the way he's always been. And, and that's why, you know, Yudoka Azabuki thrived in that system because he was constantly fed the ball, you know, and even in teams, you know, like there, there were not to this level, but there were some complaints about Yudoka a couple of years ago that when he got outside of, you know, the circle, 
he was completely ineffective and you had really talented three-point shooters on the team like Devontae Graham and uh, you know Svi Mikhailuk and some of these other shooters and they were constantly feeding Yudoka in the post and even when there were other teams that were putting up threes constantly and draining them like I remember a Villanova game where you know Villanova was making every three and the Jayhawks never adjusted they just kept feeding Doke in the post and they kept falling further and further and further behind so I, I don't think it's as much about McCormick as it is about the actual position and McCormick happens to be the guy in that position this season you look at all the really talented bigs that have been in Bill's self-system over the last 15 plus years you know in Lawrence and that really is kind of the the star position on a Bill Self team. David McCormick, as of right now, doesn't live up to some of those other bigs. Obviously, most recently, Udoka, but even guys like Landon Lucas and, um, you know, Jamari Trailer, Perry Ellis, and then even further back with Cole Aldridge and Jeff Withy and the Morris twins and Thomas Robinson. Like David McCormick right now is nowhere in that conversation with any of those guys right now. And, and I agree with you. He looks sped up when he's playing. He looks sloppy when he's playing. It looks like he's in his head quite a bit, which is going to happen. And obviously, all eyes are on him as the replacement for Yudoka Azabuki. But, you know, you always look at what a player's plus minus is when they're on the court. And here's an example of what David McCormick has done in the first three games. In the Gonzaga game, he was minus 10. St. Joe game, he was plus seven. But in the Kentucky game, he was minus eight. And so, you you compare that like in the Kentucky game, I said he was he was minus eight. Dewan Harris off the bench was plus twelve, and you know so you you really have to look at all right. We understand that Bill, you want to feed the 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 offense through the post, but you're gonna have to make some adjustments. And we saw that you know we've seen that at, at, at times, especially during the Kentucky game on Tuesday night, where he did go to five guards, and that was the most effective offense for KU. And I think. Uh, who will hide a question Bill Self, but I think right. that's got to be the the game plan moving forward is you got to play five guards as much as you can until David McCormick figures it out. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you too. And in, 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 in you're right, right? Who are we to question Bill Self? And I, I, it's not that I don't have faith in the fact that he'll Bill will adjust or figure it out because um, he always does. But the other thing too, you know, one, I, I think it's just going to be tough on Bill to really, you know, sit down McCormack and maybe doesn't sit him down, but say, look, you know, we're not, you're not going to get Doke minutes. Yeah. You know, we played Doke as much as we could. We're going to have to play this five man lineup or this five guard lineup at times. And it's just going to cut into your time. And I'm sorry, but that's the way it's going to be. Or two, what I would like to see too, is maybe utilizing him in more of a different way, right? Like if he really can shoot at this 15 foot range, like I keep hearing that he can, and we, and we've seen him do it too. It's not that I question he can't, I mean, he he hasn't done it really shooter too. Right. It's not that it's not, we just haven't seen it yet this year, but you know, get him out high ball screens, pick and roll at the top, you know, as opposed to what we really saw so far in these first three games was let him sit on the block. Well, and he was setting high screens, but then it was just roll, roll, either get him yeah. a, a foul for you know a moving screen, or he'd roll to the block, sit on the block, they'd throw it to him, and then nothing good would happen. So, you know, I, you're right. Bill Self will figure it out, and I, I don't have any questions about that. I just think whatever the decision is, I think it's going to be tough on Bill because you know he is loyal to his guys that have been in the program that have stuck around. Um, and so I think it's going to probably be a, a tough decision for him to, to tell McCormick, Hey, you're not going to play, you know, 38 minutes like Doke did, or we're not going to give you 
force feed you 12 right. touches a game. Maybe you'll get that organically, but we're not going to force feed it. B- Bill's a loyal guy. He's a loyal coach, but more than that, he wants to win games. And you yeah. could tell, especially in the second half of the Kentucky game, that he knew their best opportunity to win was for McCormick to sit and for Jalen Wilson to play. You know, And I tweeted this you know, uh, during the Kentucky game that really I think the, the best starting lineup for Kansas moving forward, at least for now, is going to be Dewan Harris starting at the point. Move Garrett off ball. I'm not saying that Marcus Garrett is a bad point guard, but he you know can move off ball and really make some things happen. Let Brown and Abaji do their thing offensively, and then let Jalen Wilson go to town. That's not a, a very tall lineup, um, you know. But you're keeping McCormick on the bench. You can bring him in. He's a good spark guy, right? And that's who what we always saw with him when he backed up Udoka was that you know Doka would get into foul trouble or he'd need a, a breather, and you brought in David McCormick, and he was going to bring energy. And that's and and that's the one thing that he he does really well. Right now, he's doing it to the detriment of the team, but he always brought a lot of energy. Right now, he's bringing too much energy, you know, and he's not, he can't even really handle rebounds right now. You know, they're, he's getting too excited for them and they're bouncing off his hands and going out of bounds, you know. So let him go back right now to what he's best at, and that's coming off the bench. And then you've got guys like, you know, uh, Thompson and, and Grant Foster uh, coming off the bench as well that can pr- provide that added spark. So, you know, I, I think that might be the best lineup moving forward. I don't know if Bill will do that or not, but you definitely have seen, you know, early this season how effective Kansas has been uh, with five guards, with their speed, with their shooting ability. Even the Kentucky game, when Brown wasn't shooting the ball well, he's like a 48% three point shooter. You got to let him keep shooting. And the one area that I will disagree with you a little bit is you mentioned that you don't think that they've really found their guy yet. I think Ochai Abaji solidified himself as the guy at the end of that Kentucky game. He scored five points in the stretch. He made a three and then he made two clutch free throws. And I think he had a dunk also, Um, you know, so really those clutch points, he was the guy that said, give me the ball. And Jalen Wilson had a great second half, but I think Ochai solidified himself as he's going to be the go-to offensive guy in those crunch time minutes for Kansas moving forward. You know, I, I think he very well could be, but my criticism of, of Ochai's game so far at this point in his tenure with Kansas has been his consistency. I mean, he has. We've seen great stretches of basketball. We've seen straight, great stretches of basketball within a game, but then he just completely disappears for halves of basketball games, for multiple games, and it's not that he ever plays bad during those times it's just you you just get very average like just kind of goes through the motions and that's to me that's not really the guy you don't you can't have that happen um so what what we've seen so far i think you're right i think it's very possible that ochai finally took that step that we've been talking about but really until i see it over a consistent period of I don't know, three, four, five games. I'm just not really willing to, you know, crown him as as the guy. But I, I think he's I think he's very well a, a great candidate. And I think really that would probably be the best case scenario for Bill if he steps up and and takes on that role, you know, as someone who's been in the program for as long as he has. And, and let's not kid ourselves. The Champions Classic uh, on Tuesday night with Kentucky, neither team shot the ball very well at all. In fact, Kentucky was atrocious, atrocious shooting the basketball on Tuesday night. That being said, though, I think a lot of the defensive concerns that fans had about Kansas, uh, I don't want to say they're gone now, but I think at least in my opinion, 
maybe not as frantic about the defense. You know, you looked at, all right, they gave up 102 points to Gonzaga. Then they gave up 72 points to St. Joseph, uh, which, you know, St. Joseph is not a great basketball team. Uh, But the fact that they only gave up 62 to Kentucky again, I know that the Wildcats did not shoot the ball very well, but the Jayhawks did force some turnovers. Um, they, They locked down, especially at the end of the game when they made that comeback in the second half. And then hang hung on to it, uh, you know. So I, I think that you're looking at a team that is, you know, I think you could say this about any basketball team right now in America. They're trying to find their identity. They're trying to find what works for them. This will be a vastly different team uh, now as it is in March. Um, but I, you know, I'm not a, a, a sky is falling person right now for Kansas. I think the Jayhawks are going to be just fine. I think they're a very talented basketball team, and I think they've got a lot of weapons. To where you know they they can continue to win basketball games, especially in a really tough Big Twelve. Yeah, I agree, and I'm glad that they're playing such quality opponents to, to start the season, which is going to result in some losses. But they're going to be more prepared with a shortened preseason and uh, you know non-con schedule going into Big Twelve play to really jump in. And you know, there's not going to be much room for error in a very jam-packed Big Twelve this year. So was glad that they're playing these tough tough games and in a loss or two to, to quality non-con opponent opponents is, is well worth getting tuned up, getting things right for the big 12. And I think that's what uh, they're doing here. Yeah. So uh, that non-conference schedule continues as soon as uh, Thursday, they have a game against Washburn. We talked about last week with Gary Bedore that they weren't, they weren't going to get a chance to have those exhibition games. They did play three games before they get to Washburn. That game will happen uh, in Allen Fieldhouse on Thursday night. And then this weekend, they take on North Dakota State again in Allen Fieldhouse. And then another huge game for the Jayhawks Tuesday afternoon. Uh, again, in Allen Fieldhouse, they take on the number nine ranked Creighton Blue Jays. Uh, and then, of course, the non-conference uh, schedule continues for the Jayhawks before they get into Big 12 play at the end of the month. So uh, another week coming up of three more games. We'll be reviewing three more basketball games when we have our next episode of Keeper of the Games. Any final thoughts on on KU before we move on to another program? No, I don't think so. I want to I would double down with you though on the sky is not falling, and I'm I'm very excited actually to see the talent the talent on this Kansas team, and it's just going to be a matter of getting it sorted out. And what program has a better coach to do that than the Kansas Jayhawks? The sky is also not falling for Gonzaga. We did just get the update that Gonzaga did win. Uh, They escaped in the Jimmy V Classic against West Virginia. Final score of that game, 87-82. to Uh, So the Bulldogs should remain at number one in America. And I would say, Weston, moving on to our next program, the Kansas State Wildcats, that if it was not for their win on Monday night against UMKC, I think we could very well say the sky is falling in Manhattan with the basketball program. It has not been a great start for Bruce Weber's crew as they lost on Wednesday in their opener inside Bramlage Coliseum to Drake in the Missouri Valley. Final score of that game, 80 to 70. I watched that game. I, well, I had it on in the background while I was working on Wednesday afternoon. And really, the Wildcats were never close in, in this game. I know the final score was 10 points, but uh, but Drake dominated that game pretty much from start to finish. Then they played on Friday against Tad Boyle's Colorado crew and lost by 18 to the Buffaloes. They were able to squeak out a victory by four against UMKC on Monday night. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch any of the Wildcats play so far. Um, it's been not a lot of fun to watch. The Wildcats are one and two. Um, it might be tough going in Manhattan right now. 
Uh, yeah, no, I haven't had an opportunity to watch him play yet, but you know, even at one and two, I mean, a win is a win, but I, Tommy, I don't know if we've talked about this. I'm UMKC alum. Uh, let me tell you that, uh, that kangaroos basketball team has been pretty terrible over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Uh, so squeaking a win out against UMKC is, is probably something, you know, to be a little bit concerned about at least following with that with that squeak by win following two pretty bad losses. So, you know, I think they've got a lot, a lot to work on it in Manhattan. I think, you know, following last season, you know, you and I talked about, Hey, look, there, there's, there's some momentum to build on there. The record was not good, but we saw moments where they played really good basketball. And I, I personally think, you know, that's an attestment to, to their coaching. You know, I, you know, we, we've talked about how much we like or think we like Bruce Weber and he's going to get this ship rotted. It's, I'm going to say it like Kansas football is not nearly the same level as Kansas football, but the same argument of, look, these things take time. It takes time to get the right guys back in. Um, you know, and I know Bruce Weber had an up and down, but I think that's kind of where this program's at. It's going to be tough to maintain a high level at a can, you know, at the consistent clip, you're going to have a few down years while you're kind of getting that new group of guys back in and building them back up. And that's what you're seeing here. And there was, you know, there was some uh, opportunities or some moments to be excited about as a case, eight fan, Nigel pack, their, their freshman, uh, you know, he led the way he had, uh, uh, 14 for K-State against UMKC. So, you know, we've seen some good good play out of a, a young freshman already, and, and to get those minutes early is is important in the, the building or rebuilding process, whatever you want to label it. Well, you know, speak for yourself about your uh, your love for for Bruce Weber. I'm not on that bandwagon. I haven't been on that bandwagon in a long time. Um, I don't think that Bruce Weber is the right choice uh, for the Wildcats. Um, I haven't thought that for a long time. Um, he always seems to be the guy that almost puts it together, and and it will be pretty good, and then it gets really bad really quick. And unfortunately for Wildcat fans, they're in the really bad, really quick stage right now. And I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to be pulled out of it. We talked about their recruiting class uh, before this season even started. And yeah, they're young. And yeah, it's going to take some time to, to grow it. I just don't have a lot of optimism that they will. Maybe they will. And maybe these words will come back to bite me in Big 12 play when the, these young guys have put it together and Bruce Weber has assembled his team of, of you know, stars to, to challenge in the Big 12. I just don't see it. And I'm not optimistic that that's going to happen. And we all know that Bruce Weber's job is tied to this recruiting class. So he's going to have to get them to produce and he's going to need to get them to produce sooner rather than later before the leadership at Kansas state makes a change. You mentioned Nigel pack. That's great that he put up 14 points against UMKC uh, in the Drake game. Their leading scorer was Mike McGurl who put up 22 points. So, you know, a veteran there, you know, uh, doing, doing good for, for the Wildcats in that opening game. And then in, uh, in the game against Colorado leading the way again was Nigel Pack with 12 points, you know, so I think that you've got, you've got some guys that you in theory could build around. I'm not going to deny that they've have a lot to rebuild and a lot to replace. Um, I think it's just going to be an uphill battle for Bruce Weber and the Wildcats. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know, this is probably a, this is going to sound like we we've 
Tommy, you and I have both stated our, our fanships. Everybody sure. knows we're Kansas fans, and this may sound pompous, but you know, it's kind of like the same as Kansas football as it is with Kansas State basketball in the sense of, you know, if if, my, if Bruce Weber's not the guy, you know, what what do you expect? Like, who do you think is walking through that door? to make things better. And you can always, always try on a young coach that maybe had D2 success or, you know, a small D1 success. Absolutely. You can always try that. But I mean, Kansas state, the basketball program is not going to have the hiring power to, to bring in someone that has a bigger name than Bruce Weber, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. And I'm certainly not saying that, Um, but it's same with, you know, Kansas football. And I guess, I guess here I am kind of making that comment and then Kansas football hired Les Miles, which is the, I mean, a name that you wouldn't think would be associated with the program results, notwithstanding. Um, But, you know, I mean, you got to temper expectations to some degree. That doesn't mean you shouldn't strive for excellence, strive for winning, but as Kansas, the Kansas basketball program is going to have to go through some of these moments at times. There's about what, 10 programs maybe in the country that you can say, okay, You'd be surprised if they go through down moments. I mean, even look at Kentucky. Even right. since Calipari's there, they've had one or two seasons here and there that weren't good seasons. You know, it's that's just the nature of really the way recruiting goes these days, the way, you know, college basketball is as a whole with guys jumping ship after a year so often. It's really, really hard to build programs. And I I just, I, I, I feel this way about, firing football coaches as I do with college basketball coaches coaches. I do think you just have to be patient. It sucks, but I just think that's the right approach to take um, when, you know, building a program or even maybe the better word because Bruce Weber has been here a while is maintaining a program. You have to be patient, you know, in a season here and there. Well, and not to bring up Jayhawk basketball when we're talking about the Wildcats, but to your point, it's remarkable that Kansas just broke the record for the most consecutive weeks in the in the AP Top 25. Uh, you know, that is a testament to how hard it is to not have down seasons. And, you know, I think that KU fans, I'll admit it, are spoiled beyond belief that yeah. you really haven't really haven't had to deal with down seasons. Yeah, you have early exits in the tournament. Um, you know, but you're not talking about teams that are unranked. You're not talking about teams with losing records. Um, you know, overall, it's it's a it's a pretty good time to be a Jayhawks fan, and it is a challenge for the Wildcats right now on the basketball front. And so, again, they're young. There's not a, as far as I know, a major rush right this second to make a change for Kansas State. But it seems like for the last three years or so, every year there's this question about whether or not Bruce Weber will keep his job. And that's a hard way to coach. And I, I, I'll admit, I don't really like Bruce Weber all that much, but I do feel for him and sympathize. Like it's hard to coach when you're constantly uh, there. There are constant questions about whether or not you'll, you'll retain your position. So um, again, he's tied to this recruiting class. If anybody can bring them together in in Manhattan right now, it's the it's the guy that recruited them, and that's Bruce Weber. So their their fates are tied together right now. It hasn't been an outstanding start for the Wildcats right now. Again, they're one and two, but their non conference schedule does continue the next couple of games. Uh, they play UM, or, I'm sorry, UNLV uh, this coming Saturday evening, and then they take on Milwaukee uh, on Tuesday. So um, 
hopefully that could be an opportunity for the Wildcats to at least get back to 500, if not have a winning record before uh, Big 12 play for the Wildcats begins in the middle of December. All right, let's talk about Wichita State basketball now. Not as much to talk about with them, at least from a game perspective, because they just finished up their very first game of the season as uh, you know they were dealing with all the, the COVID-19 issues they had to pull out of their Thanksgiving week tournament in South Dakota and come back home. Uh, they played for the very first time on Wednesday night against Oral Roberts inside an empty Charles Koch arena. The Shockers did get the victory by a final score of 85 to 80, moving Wichita State to 1-0. It's the first win of the Isaac Brown era at Wichita State. And it's what I think is even more remarkable about this win for the Shockers is that Wichita State, they were only playing with eight guys uh, due to the COVID-19 issues that they had been having. There were only eight of them that that suited up and, and played uh, in that game on Wednesday night while there were obviously all the other guys were, were out. So uh, the shorthanded shockers get that victory 85 to 80 against Oral Roberts. Yeah, I'm sure an eight person bench in an empty arena probably looked and felt like it was just an MAYB AAU yeah. game out, out there with, with the short bench, but a uh, great, great start for Isaac Brown. I mean, a win's a win, you know, like we talked about with Kansas state, so good way to start and probably even more important for him, right, to start with the W, to get that first one under his belt and really settle in and, and really take charge and, and lead this program hopefully where where they go and where, you know, his I'm sure his ultimate goal obviously is to retain that head coach job uh, at the end of the year. Tyson Etienne was the leading scorer for the Shockers. He put up 26 points in 29 minutes uh, of action on the floor. And then their grad transfer, Alteri Gilbert from UConn, put up 18 points in 28 minutes played. Uh, Morris Udesi added 10 points with six rebounds. I do think when I'm looking at this box score, and I'll admit I didn't have a chance to watch this particular game. In fact, it just went final right before we came on the air. Um, But looking at the stat line, and I, I want to go back and dive into this a little bit more when I have some time. Dexter Dennis only scored two points in 34 minutes on the court. He had two assists and five rebounds. Doesn't mean that he didn't have a productive game, um, but it's a little surprising to me to see him only score two points. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the shortened off season and everything like that to see, you know, Altery Gilbert come in and, and really score the you know score more points or you, you kind of expect Dexter Dennis to really take charge especially early on as things I know Tyson Etienne had a good game but uh, you'd expect kind of Dexter Dennis to take charge early on in the season. Yeah, so again, it doesn't necessarily mean, and I'm sure that those of you that, that watch the game or listen to the game um, you know, could be able to tell a little bit more, a little bit better about Dexter Dennis and his productivity on the court, but it was a little bit surprising to me uh, to see that. So the Shockers moved to 1-0 and on this young season, and they turn right back around and play on Sunday against Missouri. The Tigers are coming into Wichita to play a non-conference game. I don't know a ton about Missouri. I know they've struggled a little bit over the last couple of years. Um, but I, I don't know if you know more about Missouri than I do, but the, they're playing Wichita state on Sunday. No, after they lost, uh, after they had their little wave with Michael Porter and Jonte Porter, uh, I have just, I feel like you're not hearing much up here about the buzz around Missouri anymore. So I, I can't say that I can add a whole lot to that. One more non-conference game for the shockers before they kick off. Uh, their American conference play. They take on the Cowboys of Oklahoma State. So a Big 12 matchup happens a week from Saturday, and then they jump right in uh, to American. 
American Conference play against Tulsa. So uh, they did have some more practice time, uh, you know, obviously dealing with all the COVID issues. And I know Billy Kennedy is an assistant coach now trying to get up to speed on everything, um, but they really don't have a lot of time before they jump into that really tough conference schedule. So as of now, the Shockers move to 1-0 and on the early season, and that is our college basketball roundup around the state of Kansas. We're going to talk now about some baseball. I know you're thinking, hey, it's early December. The baseball season is nowhere near uh, time to be here yet, but there is some Wichita baseball news as it relates to the Wichita wind surge. We have been hearing about this for quite a while now that due to some of the financial strains that have been put on the minor league system, especially in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, there have been a lot of rumors and a lot of chatter about some realignment in the minor league system and some established minor league baseball teams going away and others being relocated and others being realigned. And it looks like no confirmation yet from major league or minor league baseball, but it does look like according to sources that the Wichita wind surge before they even play one game in Wichita will realign and shift uh, from AAA to AA, and they will join the Texas League, which, by the way, was the same league the Wichita Wranglers were in for a number of years, but they will become the uh, AA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. Prior to that, uh, of course, as of right now, they are the AAA affiliate of the Miami Marlins. So this is big news, again, not confirmed, uh, but it has gotten people around the city and the community talking. A lot of negative reaction to this, uh, especially considering the financial uh, implications and everything that's gone on. Um, but what are your thoughts? I mean, I don't know how much you know about all of this or, or what you've read into it, but your thoughts on the wind search potentially moving from AAA to AA. So I'm, I'm a little bit torn. I, I personally do not think moving from AAA to AA makes much of a difference. I think a lot of folks, I'd say a majority of folks that are going to minor league baseball games in general, folks that are going to go watch the wind search are there for an experience there for a product there to, to see something on a Wednesday night with their kids on a Saturday night with their kids, um, you know, take in some baseball, but most folks I don't think are going to have an eye to see a difference in product on the field between double a AA and triple a where I do think, um, well, uh, I don't know that it'll hurt financially, but what bothers me is switching from the Marlins to the twins. I hate that you're going to have, you know, in, I don't know, rivals, a weird word to use in baseball. I feel like other than Yankees, Red Sox, you don't really have too many rivalries, but to have a, you know, a, a team that's in the Royals division now going to have their players coming up through Wichita, which is, has a huge Royals fan base, you know, I think it's just really disappointing and, and not that, not that the Marlins, um, you know, not that that was better, but it's an NL team. It's, you know, it's like you can, hey, I can root for this guy. He's going to be on the Marlins and no big deal. You know, I can root for him when he's in the majors. The Marlins don't really play the Royals. No problem. Well, now it's like, I, I know you're, you're going to kind of go through those feelings of, well, if I, you know, getting attached to a player, then he comes up and plays for the Twins and then goes out and beats the Royals. And I don't know. I just, I don't love that aspect of it. Uh, but I get, you know, that's the Royals made their decision to, to move their farm team out of Wichita. So, you know, if that's for them, that's fine. But as a, as a Wichita, you know, or as a Royals fan, also someone who's going to be involved in Wichita sports, I just, I would rather go to a game and, and not have to watch a, a rival team and interdivision teams, players come up through that system. But uh, my, 
my comments about the first part being, I think most people who are going to the park are there for an experience there for a night out, trying to take the kids, just taking some baseball in general, I think are also not going to be overly affected by the fact that it's twins players and not Marlins players. Yeah. Your, your scenario actually, you know, it really makes sense in my mind as far as cheering for a player. And then he's promoted to a division rival of the Royals and then that player can potentially help the twins beat the Royals. Um, that's hard. And I can understand that frustration for sure. As far as the level of play on the field, there's no difference between triple a and double a baseball. In fact, I would even argue that, that it's going to be more exciting to watch double a baseball than triple a baseball, you know, and this is kind of rule of thumb and anybody that follows minor league baseball or kind of knows the way that farm teams work. You probably know, you probably have an idea that a lot of times triple a baseball teams are, you know, landing spots for lifelong minor league players. You're not really seeing a lot of guys that are going to end up in the bigs. They're, they made it to the very top uh, or as high, as high as they could possibly go without going to the major leagues, and they spend a decade or longer languishing in AAA. You might see a major leaguer every now and then do a rehab assignment for a AAA team, but it's quick. It's you know maybe a week or a couple of games or whatever. But in AA, you're seeing prospects that will more than likely be promoted to the big league club. Um, that's not to say that there aren't people that spend a lot of time in double a, but it's, it's a stepping stone. It's, it's a training ground. It's a launching pad uh, for some high profile stars. And all you have to do is look at the Wranglers from, you know, several years ago to see that. And, and the, the number of future superstars that made stops in Wichita, Johnny Damon, Carlos Beltran, Zach Greinke, Billy Butler, Alex Gordon, all those guys spent time playing for the Wranglers before they went to the Royals and then elsewhere. You wouldn't see that with the Wichita Wind Surge as a AAA affiliate as much. You might see it a little bit, but not as much as I think you would for a, a AA team. And so um, while I understand the 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 division frustration for sure, if that ends up happening and, and taking shape, um, I, I think the argument of, well, we were promised AAA baseball and now you're giving us AA baseball and it's not nearly as good a baseball. I think that argument is completely ludicrous and it's not true at all. Yeah, not only that, I, I think there's a – I'm just going to make up a number here. What, 3% of the, the people that are going to go would actually have an eye for the difference in that in that talent. Right. And, right. and then and even in, within that 3%, those are true diehard baseball people that are going to show up in, in to the stadium anyways no matter how much they complain about it. So, you know, I don't think that's – what I do like though is I like the switch from the, the – uh, Pacific Pacific Coastal Coast League to the Texas League though. Yeah. Because now you're looking at, you know, you've got games against Arkansas, you've got games against well, Arkansas and then Northwest Arkansas, you got a games right. in Springfield, Missouri, you got games in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, Frisco, Amarillo, much more close so that if you were traveling through the area, you know, you could go and catch, uh, you know, a Wichita wind surge game on the road. I mean, it actually would be reasonable to do that if that, if you wanted to do that, as opposed to, you know, the Pacific coast league. Yeah. They had a few folks or a few teams that, that weren't too far away. You know, you had the Nashville sound, uh, Memphis Redbirds, Oklahoma city Dodgers were there. Um, but I mean, you could have been going as far as Albuquerque or Tacoma or Sacramento uh, Fresno, Las Vegas. I mean, that's, I'm just, you know, obviously naming off some of the teams here, but 
all over the country, whereas this is a little bit more condensed. And if you really wanted to get into and follow the wind surge, it would be a lot easier to do that and actually catch a few games on the road if, if you wanted to with their schedule being so tight-knit in a, in a geographical location. So I, I love that. Now, that's also assuming we don't know who else is sliding into the Texas League or sliding out of the Texas League as they're kind of doing some realigning. But uh, I think it's really promising. You know, there's a there's been a negative reaction in the city, and uh, and and you can see that from like the Wichita Eagle and their article and all the comments. I mean, and I try to stay away from comment sections on things like that, uh, but this one kind of you know drug me in to read the different comments. And you've got a lot of people that are really upset about this uh, and about the fact that before the team even played a game, they're being shifted from AAA to AA, which that's out of anybody's hands. Nobody can control what's happened this year. And then a lot of people are upset that, you know, taxes uh, were raised for a $75 million ballpark with the promise that it'd be a AAA baseball team, but instead Wichita is getting a AA team. And to me, as I'm reading that, I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, you were probably against the stadium project from day one anyway. Like you're just looking for a reason to be negative about it. You're looking for a reason to say, see, we told you that raising taxes was not going to be a good idea because now you have a $75 million ballpark and in their mind, a lesser baseball team, Um, which is just, if you know anything about minor league baseball, you know, that's not the case. Jared Forma, who is the general manager for the wind surge, he was quoted as saying, I don't know of any changes yet. All we are aware of is that major league baseball i don't know if the right word is taken over kind of taken over the minor league operation bringing all baseball under one umbrella we know that there may be some changes coming we don't know if we're one of the teams that will be changed or not from a level or who we're affiliated with so still a lot up in the air about what is exactly going to happen um you know if the wind surge will stay at triple a stay in their league move to double a move their affiliation uh a lot's up in the air but the bottom line is that you know and i can say this not just as host of a wichita sports podcast but also i'm a partial season ticket owner for the wind surge this is not going to change my mind one bit. In fact, I'm even more excited to go and watch the wind surge. And I'm, I'm looking forward for the opportunity to actually use my season tickets next season. I think it's going to be a fantastic way to watch some baseball in Wichita. You know, and the other thing I want to add too is I think something that kind of gets lost in this, right, is MLB is taking over the minor league system. I obviously do not know the financials. I don't know the, the you know, everything, the inner workings behind that. But to me, that just brings more stability to the wind surge that they are now under the umbrella of Major League Baseball. You only have to assume that just makes this more viable in the city long term, knowing that the Major League Baseball, you know, has its, you know, branches in it even deeper now than it did before. So I think that's a great, great thing to add. And, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm still just everybody's excited about wind surge baseball as I can. And, and, you know, notwithstanding, we haven't talked about COVID in a while, Tommy, but notwithstanding, you know, it sounds like we might uh, have some good news here soon and might be able to actually catch some baseball games in the spring. 
That's the goal. That's the plan. And of course, we'll make sure to keep you posted when we know uh, what the affiliation will be for the win surge for 2021. We're going to get into some NFL action now. And of course, you know, it's kind of a broken record. The Chiefs continue to win. In fact, they've lost one game in the last, what, like 385 days or something like that. It's been, you know, of course, they lost that week five matchup against the Raiders. But other than that, in the last, you know, year and change uh, that's the Chiefs are not lost other than that game they continued that on Sunday afternoon in front of a national audience in Tampa Bay as they took down Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by a final score of 27-24 there's a lot to talk about with this game and unpack my first question to you though Weston about this game is that is it safe to say that Tyreek Hill is more than just a return specialist now Oh, God, I hope that narrative <laughs> been put to bed quite a long time ago. I think not only is he not uh, just a return specialist, he's quite possibly the best wide receiver in the league. And if you have a list of best wide receivers and he's not in the top five, then you have no credibility. But I yeah. think he absolutely deserves to be in the conversation for best wide receiver in the game. And you can't imagine him being paired with any more perfect quarterback for him than, than yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Those two, I mean, obviously went berserk. Uh, you know, against Tampa Bay and why poor Carlton Davis, a rookie corner who's had a fantastic season. He has been very, very good this year. And they just left him on an island and that poor guy got roasted time and time again. It just goes to show that you it doesn't matter how good a corner is, if you if you can't run with damn near Olympic speed, you can't keep up with Tyreek Hill and you can't go one on one with them. It's just that simple. And it took forever for Bruce Arians to make that adjustment, you know, and I think they finally did. Um, But that first quarter, uh, the first half really uh, was just insane from Mahomes to Hill. And uh, I don't know why teams continue to think that they can go one-on-one with Tyreek Hill. It just time and time again, he will beat you. It doesn't, you can throw your, your top corner on him and it doesn't matter. You need help over the top to contain, or at least attempt to contain a guy like Tyreek Hill. And not only that, but to your point, absolutely agree with you. Having the best quarterback in the NFL doesn't hurt either. And he, there were a couple of passes that, you know, he put perfect on Tyreek Hill. And of course, you know, Hill went from there and his speed and his agility, um, you know, just, you know, that turned into, into scores for the chiefs. But, uh, but Patrick put it on a dime to Tyreek on, on all three of those touchdown passes. So again, you know, it took forever for the Buccaneers to finally adjust. They did, and they had better success in the second half. Um, but we talked about it all season long about how offensively Kansas city has so many different weapons that as soon as you start, you know, doubling Tyreek, or as soon as you start playing soft, well, they're, you know, Pat's just going to find Travis Kelsey, you know, underneath, you know, yeah. and so it's just, it's, it's so hard to stop this team. And it almost seems kind of unfair. It almost is like you're playing Madden on rookie mode and you're just blowing up the opposing team's defense. And, and when Kansas City is clicking on offense, that's sort of what it is. I think the status of this offense is at a point where they're man proof. I, I don't think you can play man to man against the Chiefs, which, which is terrible for defenses because Pat's good against us. He'll pick a part of zone. I mean, he's very good at that. But, I mean, if you're playing man, you're just, I guess, going to say, we're going to give up some big plays, but I'm going to gamble on maybe 
jumping a route and getting a ball, which I mean, Pat's thrown one interception this year, right? I mean, that so sure. I, if that's what you're ga- if that's what you're gambling on, those are pretty bad, bad odds to be playing with. There's just yeah. no great great way to slow down this offense. And and I've I've sound like a broken record. I've said it many a times. Really, truly, the only way to do it is to be able to get to Pat with only your front four, with not bringing any extra pressure. Because the second you do, he's going to throw right behind that pressure. Um, or, you know, then you've got one less guy to be over the top of Tyree Kill or in the middle of the field to, to stop Travis Kelsey. And and they are just absolutely uh, clicking right now. Um, and it's fun to see. And I still, you know, this is something I mentioned a few, maybe a few episodes ago. I, I think Andy Reid is holding, holding the playbook back still a little bit because one of the things we know, I mean, as – Andy Reid has a history of really utilizing running backs in the passing game. We know Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been fantastic in his collegiate career at catching the ball in the backfield. We really haven't seen it a whole lot. And I absolutely think that this is purposeful from Andy Reid. I think, one, he's hiding it to some degree, doesn't want to put it on tape. And, two, probably making Clyde go through the progressions as a rookie saying, okay, here's the running plays. We're going to work you through this. Here's pass plays. You've got to learn to sit and pass pro and protect Patrick Mahomes. All right. Here's a couple check down plays. You know, run your safety valve route. Okay. You've done all this. We feel adequate with you doing one, two, and three. Now here's some plays in the playbook where we are looking to get you the ball in the pass game. And I think that's what we either will start to see towards the end of the season or honestly where the Chiefs are. Andy may hold that back and really wait until even the playoffs to, to show that because he doesn't, I don't think they have to, they don't need to, they're sitting at nine and one. Um, and as we talk about the number one seed, we have a, we, Oh wait, today we had an afternoon football game today. Yeah. I totally missed what yeah. happened in that game. So, so the Steelers did beat the Ravens. Yeah. Um, but the Ravens are terrible right now. Uh, Lamar Jackson well, did yeah. not play. Robert Griffin III was a starting quarterback. Um, I, I think outside of a late touchdown for Baltimore, um, it was not super close. And I don't even think the Steelers played all that well. Um, yeah. I think the final score was 19-14 or something like that. But the Steelers do move to 11-0. and And the Chiefs, after their win on Sunday, they're 10-1 and uh, after beating the Buccaneers. But, but to your point, and uh, to expound on that a little bit, um, this is sort of where this, I think this shines the light, what I'm about to say on how talented Mahomes, Hill and Kelsey are offensively for Kansas city. Everybody knows that, but you look at like, let's just look at the offensive line for Kansas city for a little bit, to be honest and not to be a downer. They're really not great this year. You know, Eric Fisher, um, he struggled, I think several times uh, during that game uh, on Sunday against the Buccaneers. Mitchell Schwartz has been out. The rest of the offensive line, they've been average, I think. They've had a couple of bright spots, but I don't think the offensive line has been amazing. And on top of that, the the running attack for Kansas City hasn't really quite been um, all that amazing the last couple of weeks, you know, Edwards Alaire, um, he didn't really do much on, on Sunday at all. Le'Veon Bell has, has played decent the last couple of weeks, but they've really relied on, you know, what Mahomes can do with guys like Hill and Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes is so good that it really hasn't mattered all that much, that the offensive line hasn't been amazing. Pass protection hasn't been awesome. Um, and the, the running game hasn't been all that great either. So, you know, obviously the chiefs are leaning on that trio right now, but as soon as you can get Edwards, Elaire, 
you know, it, ready to go in the passing game and, you know, open up what he's doing running the football. Same thing with Le'Veon Bell. Um, again, it's an embarrassment of riches offensively for Kansas City. You know, it, it, and you say that and think about this. I mean, the Chiefs are on pace to get back what I think is the best right tackle in all of football or close yep. to one of the best right tackles in all of football in Mitch Schwartz. They just recently got back Martinez Rankins, who I think probably would have started the season at guard had he been healthy. And it may take him a bit, but they're getting him back, probably going to move into a starting role. They're going to get back Sammy Watkins, the number two receiver who would be a number one receiver on many teams. All those three guys they're getting back and to think at the level they're playing out without the right. without them well, and is that's really mind blowing. That's my point, is that right. you know, when you look at other teams that you know they lose their their top offensive tackle to injury. A lot of times, watch how that offense falls off until right. that guy comes back. You don't see any kind of fall off offensive fall off offensively with Kansas City because not only do you have Patrick Mahomes, but you have Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And it, they've almost, and I'm not saying that offensive line play is not important because it obviously is, but they've almost made it not as important because they can they can operate and they can be successful without having the best offensive line in the entire league, which I think is incredible. Yeah, and not only that, but you know, the era of having some mobility out of your quarterback is almost essential. I mean, guys yeah. like obviously Pat, you know, Deshaun, Lamar Jackson, and not even necessarily like Pat doesn't run four yards per se. You know, he runs to then buy himself time to get the ball down the field with his arm. Um, but it's almost essential now, you know. I mean, Russ Westbrook, Westbrook, Russell Wilson, you know, we just see all the all the guys um that are doing this. And I think having Pat with mobility adds even more to that uh, you know, statement for sure. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, and, and the game, the game got close at the end. Uh, it really wasn't that close for the first three and a half quarters, really. Um, you know, it, Tom Brady is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Um, but I think that it's, it's past time to stop the comparisons between Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. And I know that there's this narrative. We talked about this a few weeks ago when, when the media was comparing Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, and we thought that comparison was ridiculous. I think this one's ridiculous too, because obviously Tom Brady is one of the greatest of all time. Patrick Mahomes is the greatest right now. So I think you can have that narrative, but they're nothing alike. They play the game completely different. They've never looked alike as cut from the same cloth as quarterbacks are concerned. Uh, and so you kept hearing this comparison between the, the the two guys over and over and over again. And now that, that Patrick Mahomes has evened the series with Tom Brady two two games apiece, I'd like to think that maybe we'll never hear it again. I don't know if it bothered you like it bothered me, but every time I kept hearing this comparison between Mahomes and Brady, I'm like, they're nothing the same. Why are we comparing them? Yeah, no, it doesn't bother me at all, and 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 I get what you're saying about play style, but I do think the comparison, in a sense, I think it's almost a subtle way of saying like, hey, look, we recognize Tom Brady as the best quarterback of all time. I think most people would agree with that statement, and I think it's a subtle way of of trying to say a quarterback who's in his fourth year, you know, is the greatest quarterback you know hey he's on pace to be the greatest quarterback right. of all time i think that's the subtle way you're comparing comparing more the success the winning um ways of the two quarterbacks that kind of just boy 
they just seem to get it done in every moment and every big moment, then you are the play style. Cause you're right. When it comes to play style, that they, they couldn't be any more different um, from a quarterback perspective that way, but and, and I, I, they don't bother me, but I do. I mean, I get what you're saying. And I could imagine that, you know, maybe the narrative and, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe Jim Nance and Tony Romo alluded to this on the broadcast, but you know, I guess if if Patrick Mahomes continues his trajectory as it is, and he ends up becoming the greatest quarterback of all time, or, or one of them in that conversation, but yet he's one in three against Tom Brady, who everybody regards as the greatest quarterback of all time, then that would be something that maybe Mahomes would have to defend. You know, hey, you might be the greatest, but you have a losing record to the other guy that we consider the greatest, you know, but that's a conversation for, for a long time uh, from now. But as it stands right now, um, the, those two guys have won two games apiece against the other one. I would say, again, we go back to the defense. We talked about the defense last week uh, against the, the Raiders who, by the way, can I just say Las Vegas looked terrible on Sunday. I'm Ooh. not sure how they how they did what they did against Kansas City. I know that division rival those games are are different than all the other games, but it, they did not look like the same football team at all as they got blown out by the Atlanta Falcons who have a losing record and an interim coach right now and it was like 40 to 6 was the final score. Uh the Raiders looked god awful, but we criticized Kansas City quite a bit about their defense last week on this show when they gave up 31 points to the Raiders in Las Vegas. They gave up 24 uh, to the Buccaneers on Sunday. And I'm not going to be as critical about the defense this week as I was a week ago, but I will be just as critical about one guy that I was last week. And that's Frank Clark. This is it's consecutive games where Frank Clark has been quiet and he's had some pretty stupid penalties as well. Um, that happened with a roughing the passer call, actually a couple of roughing the passer calls uh, on Tom Brady on Sunday. And you see this pass rush for Kansas city, just go quiet again. They did put more pressure on Tom Brady than they did on Derek Carr uh, the week prior, but uh, I, I think it's time to be a little bit concerned about the pass rush for Kansas City. Yeah, definitely, and that's a that's a good way to put it too. Because I I'm not concerned about the defense as a whole, um, but if there is an area of the defense I'm concerned about, it is definitely the pass rush. Yeah. You know, I, I was very critical of Frank Clark last season, uh, you know, coming in big contract, just didn't do much. Absolutely turned it on in the playoffs and was dominant. I just don't know where that guy goes. You know, yeah. how does he disappear for these stretches? And honestly, he's getting paid to play that way, you know, game in and game out, not just in the playoffs, but ultimately, right. The chiefs are at a, at a spot in their, uh, franchise that it is solely just about winning Super Bowls. So if they continue to ride through this, you know, stretch of the offense playing lights out, and for whatever reason Frank Clark and Chris Jones can turn it on in the playoffs, so be it. But it, it is it's alarming. I mean, you didn't. If it wasn't for the history of Chris Jones being absolutely dominant and Frank Clark turning it on in the playoffs. I would be more concerned than I am, but that is definitely the area to watch right now because you have to be able to get to the quarterback. Well, you know, Frank Clark is the fifth highest paid edge rusher in the NFL right now. And I really think that the one guy that Kansas City is missing more than anybody else, and it's a name we haven't talked about at all this season, is Emmanuel Ogba. And he's no longer with Kansas City. He's down in Miami. He has eight sacks for the Dolphins this year. And right now, the Chiefs sit at 21st overall in the NFL 
in total sacks. So that's definitely an area where they need improvement for sure. This Sunday for Kansas City, they take on the Broncos in a division game on Sunday night football. So that's two out of the last three weeks that Kansas City will have Sunday night football. This one will be a little bit different uh, than the Raiders game two weeks ago um, because the Broncos are not a good football team. It does look like, though, Denver will have their quarterbacks back and they won't have to go with Kendall Hinton um, to play quarterback, which is that whole saga was just bizarre. We don't have time to get into it and talk about it, but uh, it does look like the Broncos will actually have some semblance of a quarterback, although I don't know if you could really call Drew Locke that, uh, but that's who the Chiefs will play on Sunday. Uh, as far as injuries and illnesses were concerned, the only two injuries of note uh, were Dorian O'Daniel and Bashad Breland. Uh, Breland was reportedly reportedly ill with a stomach virus, and O'Daniel uh, has a sprained ankle. So uh, Breland has not been placed on the COVID list. It looks like it might be the flu or something like that, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Breland play on Sunday. Yeah, no, uh, and and frankly, uh, the Broncos are not a good football team, so not overly concerned about you know who who's n- not there or outside of Patrick Mahomes, not overly concerned about yeah. who's out on the field or not out on the field. Uh, the Broncos are, I mean, they're probably going to be in teardown mode. I, I potentially think after this season. Yeah, um, I actually have heard. I have heard and read, I don't know if rumors of it happening, but speculation of it happening of, of potentially Matt Stafford uh, going to Denver after this season. So that oh. would be interesting to see what John Elway wants to do with a quarterback he drafted that is not working out yet, but how much time do you give him? I don't know. It's a, it's a, they're in a bad spot right now. So uh, should be a very interesting game not like you said not like the Raiders but it would still expect uh, Kansas City to, to come out firing all on all cylinders and take away what's your final score prediction you know I think this one probably is a little <laughs> I'm gonna predict a, a less scoring game because I always go so high and then we don't get it I'm gonna go 35-7 Kansas City all right, so that big of a of a deficit for Denver yeah. on Sunday. Um, yeah. I think the Chiefs will put up um, somewhere close to that. I'm going to say 31 points, but I do think Denver will score a couple times. Um, so I'm going to say 31-17 is the final score for Kansas City on Sunday against the Denver Broncos on Sunday night football. Let's very quickly talk about some college football. The college football season, it does continue. Uh, there's been a lot else going on, especially with the start of college basketball, but college football does continue, although things are not good in Manhattan right now. The promise of uh, the the Wildcats leaving the Big 12 just a few weeks ago and maybe even playing for a Big 12 championship. Uh, Those dreams have been dashed, especially with their loss against Iowa State one weekend ago, and then they lost in heartbreaking fashion by one point against the Baylor Bears by a final score of 32-31 to over the weekend. Uh, Baylor's kicker John Mayers kicked a 30-yard field goal to win the game on the final play after Charlie Brewer marched Baylor down the field uh, in the final moments of the game. Uh, I know that we've talked quite a bit about how the the mentality for the Wildcats should be let's look to the future and be excited about what we have and whatever we get now is gravy. But even regardless of that, kind of a disappointing couple of weeks for the Wildcats. Yeah. And anytime you lose in heartbreaking fashion, you know, that's, that just adds fuel to the fire, no matter what your expectations were. So, you know, losing a game that was, you know, came down, you know, to the wire and and really looked like Kansas state had an opportunity to win this football game. 
that always that always is tough to deal with as a fan, regardless if you've settled in on that future outlook. Um, but again, I, you know, and I'm gonna I sound like a broken record, I know, but there is still so much promise. I mean, Deuce, you know, Deuce Vaughn, he he had 102 yards and a touchdown in this game. That, that I still am just adamant this guy is gonna be an absolute star. Uh, Will Howard, you know, he had 41 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Didn't throw the ball well, but you know, again, freshman quarterback figuring things out in a new system. Um, you know, with a team that has not historically thrown the ball well or not consistently for a big amount of yards uh it was nine of 18 for 88 yards and through two touchdowns which is not great but uh you know those are things you can look to the future and say hey look this is a this is bright i mean when you have a freshman quarterback and a freshman running back getting so much experience in the big 12 and playing well relatively deuce vaughn playing well just period will howard playing well relative to being a freshman um you've got to be excited about that and and you know we've still continued to see uh, moments of the Kansas State defense being as good as it's always been. Um, you know, obviously we had some, there were some letdowns there on Saturday, but uh, seven sacks was fantastic. Wyatt Hubert, I think, had three. I think I know he had at least two. I want to say he had three. Um, you know, granted, and he's not, that's not really a building on the future, but th- it's just they continue to produce, you know, great pass rushers at Kansas State and this continuous defense. So I, I think that that's, you know, it's unfortunate. It's tough pill to swallow as a fan, but that's what you have to be looking at right now is, is really the promise of, of that, even in a heartbreaking loss. And the biggest question right now with the Wildcats is not about the, the stars of the future. I think like you mentioned, those guys are, are pretty solid. We kind of know who they're going to be. They've shown flashes of it this season. The biggest question mark is what's going on with player retention. And there've been a handful of Wildcats that have left the program this season. And, um, you know, Chris Kleiman has addressed it kind of vaguely, uh, for several weeks, kind of about, you know, players need, needing to buy into the culture. And you always hear that from, from coaches and, um, and, and now it's Chris Kleiman's turn to, to say those words about, you know, some of these guys that are leaving the program, entering the transfer portal, they're moving on from Kansas state. Um, and I think that there has been a little bit of a question about, are the majority of players buying in to Chris Kleiman? And I've even heard Kansas state fans questioning that, and I think it's premature to to question that because I think that Chris Kleiman has done nothing but bring positive momentum to the, the Wildcat program. And I think right now, I think he's earned the trust of Wildcat fans for them to believe him when he says, we've got to get guys in here who are bought into my program and my culture. And that's going to continue with recruiting. The, it seems like the the top guys, they have bought in, but you've got some of these other players. And I think I think at last count, there were maybe eight guys that have transferred out in just a matter of a, of a few weeks. But you, I, I don't think that that's cause for concern. Quite like, you know, all the way back in March when we were talking about Wichita State basketball and the players transferring out of the program there, like there was some there was some alarm there. I really don't think that there's a whole lot of concern with this. I just think it's Chris Kleiman building this program the way he wants to and getting his guys in who will be 100% bought in. You know what? I think as a fan, you have to cut it, cut, I don't know, cut him some slack or take into consideration the 
odd year that this this is and i do think that absolutely plays into guys leaving you know when you're when you're a kansas kansas state wildcat football player there's there's so much to that right in this year it truly is just about the football because there aren't there's hardly any fans in the stands campus life is not what it's normally like i mean i don't know maybe to some there are some stuff probably going on that is pretty normal but you got to think it's a little bit different you don't feel like that big time wildcat football player just by being on the football team. It's probably a lot more about the football right. and these football players, you know, they've, they've got egos. That's how you, I mean, you have to, to get to the level of, of most of the, that most of these guys are at. And so when it, when it's just about the football and the playing time isn't there, you know, I, I think it makes guys a little bit. And then plus the addition of more accessibility to the transfer portal. I just think it creates a weird cocktail that you're going to have maybe more guys leave than usual on top of exactly what you're saying, Chris Kleiman building a program the way he wants. And there's going to be guys that don't buy into that. And that's okay. You know, they can go to a program where they think they need to, where they would fit better. Um, I'm with you. I don't see any concern here. And and frankly, I think you want Kleiman to get the right guys in. So if that means losing a couple, that's okay. So the four and five Wildcats will be back at home on Saturday, taking on the five and three Texas Longhorns. That game kicks off at 11 a.m. You can catch it on Fox about an hour and a half down the road from Manhattan and Lawrence. It's a flat out dumpster fire. Um, We say it every week. Not a whole lot to talk about. The Jayhawks played at home over the weekend in Memorial Stadium against TCU. They lost that game by a final score of 59 to 23. It was not nearly even that close as what the the score uh, will indicate. The Jayhawks dropped to 0 and 8 on the year and 0 and 7 in Big 12 play. Uh, TCU improved to 4 and 4 overall on the season. I don't know if there's anything you want to talk about with this game. Um, I'm almost I'm almost at Blake Cripps level right now, where I'm like it's not even worth my breath. Um, <laughs> I followed the game on Twitter. I didn't watch it. I had better things to do. I think I played like like Madden on Xbox. Like I did wanted to do anything but watch the KU game on Saturday. Uh, it's a waste of it's a waste of my time to do. Uh, so again, I don't know if there's anything you want to discuss, but the Jayhawks are really really bad. No, I don't have anything to add actually from the game. Uh, you know, this season is it is what it is, and it's gonna it's gonna be an O for you know that that's where where we're headed here. Um, so just, you know, as a Jayhawk fan, I think you just have to put this this season out of your mind. And I have, you know, Tommy, I have defended Les Miles and give him time. Let him build the program. I do think next season is a time where you can start saying, hey, we've got to see something. Yeah. This is year three. Yep. You're not, you know, you don't get that leeway of, you, okay, I'm still with you. Yeah. Maybe it takes five years to build a winning program, but you have to win a football game. You've got to see incremental growth from That's year right. to year. That's just the way that it has to be. Um, one other quick uh, note about KU football. Uh, they lost their punter today. Kyle Thompson announced that he was going to be, uh, entering the transfer portal and leaving the Jayhawks. So that's uh, bad when your punter leaves. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that is what it is, what it is, but the Jayhawks are back in action uh, on the road on Saturday. If anybody cares an 11 a.m. kickoff on the road against Texas tech. All right. <laughs> With that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into our Wichita whip around right now here on keeper of the games. And we've been talking about it for the last several weeks here on the program 
State football, the playoffs have been in action for several weeks now, and we have our state champions. They have been crowned. And I think even more impressively, the state of Kansas, they were able to pretty much uh, without a hitch conduct a fall football season in the middle of a pandemic and they were able to get through the entire season playoffs and all uh so starting in 6a don't call it a comeback the derby panthers they are your 6a state champions as they beat blue valley north by a final score of 56 to 31 we know they were the two seed they should have been the one seed obviously they've had a lot of distractions and a lot of issues all the way back at the very beginning of the season but i would guess if you were to talk to Brandon Clark, I'm sure he loves all of the state championships, but this one might be the most meaningful after all the adversity that Derby had to overcome throughout the season. Yeah, absolutely. What a, I mean, what a ride. And, and that's the kind of, these are the kind of things coaches live for. I mean, obviously not wanting a pandemic, but really that adver- adversity to really coach through something. I mean, I think Derby, Derby's got to be probably the I mean, best football team in the state, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the biggest class and the, you know, the, uh, the champions there uh, for sure. So yeah, big time uh, win and big time championship uh, for the Panthers of Derby in 5A. Uh, Wichita Northwest, they took on Mill Valley, which we've mentioned it before. Mill Valley beat Derby in the opener way back in September. Uh, but Mill Valley got the victory over Northwest. They are your 5A state champions. Final score of that game, 49-35, but still a fantastic season for Steve Martin and Wichita Northwest. Yeah, ho- hopefully they, you know, they've been just right there the last couple of years. They're they're going to be looking to to break over the edge, and five A is such a tough class, but you know they're right there, and you expect them to hopefully take that step in the next couple of years. Yep, obviously Northwest would have loved a state championship, but uh, the runner-up uh, role still very good for uh, Northwest. In 4A, we discussed this on last week's program about how Arkansas City entered into the state championship game with a record of 6-6. Six and six. They entered the playoffs with a record of 2-6 and six and went on this crazy run into the state championship game, but that crazy run came to an end as they fell to St. James Academy in 4A with the final score of 56-34, but still hats off to Arkansas City. Um, you know, I don't think anybody uh, thought that that Ark City would get that far in the playoffs, especially when they entered with a two and six record. Yeah, the, I mean that's I mean that's what you make movies out of, right? Like going two and six and then making yeah. a run in the playoffs. I mean, like you said, hats off to them. What a great run. Yeah, definitely a Cinderella run for sure for our Kansas City. Then in 3A, you can speak to this better than I can. Your Andale Indians win another state championship, and it wasn't even close. The Andale Indians defeated Perry LeCompton. Final score, 20-0. Andale pitched a shutout. I'm pretty sure, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure they pitched a shutout the week before against collegiate. So, and I think it was like 49, nothing was the final score in that game. So the last two weeks Andale, um, I mean, not giving up any points. That's crazy. Yeah. So there was an article in the Wichita Eagle about the, the Indians winning their uh, second back-to-back stretch of, of games. Oh, seven, oh eight. I was a part of those teams. Uh, then they won back-to-back these last two years. And they said that this was probably the most dominant senior class in Andale history, which I took incredible offense to. <laughs> um, but then I saw the numbers and Andale outscored their five playoff opponents 238 to seven. 
Yikes. That is insane in the playoffs. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and give a shout out to all my 08 guys because we did it in class 4A and, and these kids are only doing it in class 3A. So, I mean, yeah, the numbers <laughs> looked good, but uh, move up a class and do it against the big boys, but that's okay. Now, a great, great, great run by Andel this season. And hats off to, you know, a lot of, the, a lot of folks talk about Dylan Schmidt, who's their head coach over there, but uh, Coach Tim Fairchild, who's run the defense for the last – I mean, at least since 05, maybe longer than that, um, just continues to pump out great, great defenses year in and year out. So maybe the 08 team should challenge the 2020 team to a, a game, like an alumni game or something. I mean, you can know, you get your guys together? Are, are, you a, are, you, are you physically able to get back out there on the football field? I know you're getting old. Tell me, you know, I just mentioned about how football players have egos, and I'm telling you, I honestly, truly believe in my head that I could still strap up and play in college, let alone go whip some high school kids. But also, a lot of uh, with the Andel community, a lot of those guys uh, that played on my 08 team have little brothers that are playing on this team still now. So uh, I think they would love that opportunity, whether they would feel like they could handle it or not, to go beat up on their little brothers. And not to get way far off track, um, but I, I'm, I'm just curious because I've, I've always wanted to know this in all seriousness with Andale. I mean, you know, they've been dominant forever, right? And, we, you know, all the way back in the dark ages when you were in high school and then even further back than that. What is it in that community? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that the, the, the kids are started at a young age and maybe working up through a system when they're like in peewee leagues. I mean, what makes that Andale program so good year in and year out? Man, I, I wish I had an answer for you, but I don't, I guess it's just being farm strong out there in Andale, but uh, you know, they do have, they do have some serious uh, peewee football, but it, like, I don't know. I didn't start till seventh grade. A lot of the guys started around in fourth or fifth grade and, and the system is not, the system they run in Cougar football, which is kind of what feeds into the high school football, it's this Cougar football. Um, it, it's not really. I mean, we we didn't run the system that the high school ran or anything like that. So I, you know, I, I don't really have any answers for you. But I think I think it's uh, being a little bit of the that the farm boy, country boy, strong out there in Andel. I think has something to do with it. You've got a mixture of like farm boy and Catholic boy, and yeah. You- combine them together and you have like this magical football program and everybody's fast i mean i I, my family didn't i'm not i'm not a a legacy andalian like i grew up in wichita and went to school out there and you know my folks live out there now and did while i was in school but a lot of a lot of these it's big families a lot you know a lot of cousins a lot of those kind of things everybody's strong everybody's fast and that's just (laughs) that's just what it's been all about i guess well, congratulations to the Andel Indians as they are the 3A state champions. And then very quickly in 2A, Rossville, uh, they're your 2A state champions taking down Hoisington, which, by the way, I found out because my father-in-law is from Hoisington. Uh, that was the first uh, trip to the state championship game that Hoisington has ever had. Uh, came up just a little bit short. They lose by a touchdown, 27-20. to 20. And then in 1A, Opie beat Oakley by a final score of 14-0. to We have one more topic in our Wichita whip around before we move on to our finally funny and hey Tommy I, yeah, I, go ahead. I need to do a quick shout out to, to my guy Seth Pargman a good friend of mine he's from Opie Kansas no. uh I text him about it. I don't know. He made some comment that I'm not going to repeat on air but uh yeah <laughs> uh, go Opie and shout out to Seth Pargman 
Very cool. Uh, like I said, one more quick topic in the Wichita whip around before we get out of here. So we mentioned last week about how uh, the Acacia the uh, Board of Directors decided that winter high school sports would start as scheduled, but without fans. I think that decision overall has been met positively that the kids are going to be able to compete in basketball and wrestling and those winter sports. However, I've, a lot of parents, especially in the Wichita metro, are upset that they're not going to be able to be in attendance after there were pictures and video of state championship games around the state where parents were watching their kids play football. So very quickly, and we're not getting into a big debate about this, but very quickly, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I know that obviously the most important thing is that the kids are playing, but do these parents have a right to be upset that they can't watch their kids play basketball when football parents were able to watch their kids play? And I think we've kind of all come to an understanding that outdoor versus indoor is a little bit different right now with what's going on. But here's what it comes down to. I mean, it's sad. It's true. We we know that the world we're in right now has become politicized with, you know, beliefs. People are going to have hard opinions one way or the other. There seems to be very little middle ground on, on everything yeah. that's going on. And so I think that's just going to happen. Um, but ultimately, if you're a parent, I, I don't. I mean, I guess you can separate it out, but as a parent, I don't know how you're not just happy that your your kid gets to play that senior season or whatever it may be um, and not miss miss those wonderful opportunities. While I can sympathize with uh, these parents and, and not having an opportunity, at least right now, to watch their children play the winter sports, um, I do agree with you that hopefully this is temporary and hopefully there is good news on the horizon and we're hopefully getting closer to the tail end uh, of this pandemic where things can start to get back to normal. So uh, I understand their frustration. I understand the the sadness of not being able to watch your kids play, but hopefully it is temporary. I just wanted to bring that up because it's kind of been the big narrative uh, around high school sports in Wichita, at least over the last week or so. That's going to wrap things up for our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games. Before we get out of here, our finally funny goes all the way back to our top story when we talked about the Kansas Jayhawks. So Tuesday night, the Jayhawks played Kentucky in the Champions Classic in Indianapolis. And in true 2020 fashion, there were no fans in uh, in that arena in Indianapolis because of the pandemic. And I, I'd been curious what college basketball would be like without any fans. We saw kind of what the arenas felt like in the NBA, um, but it was going to be different for college basketball. And it really does have kind of like an AAU feel to it, I think, in those gyms. But the, the craziest thing about it is that you can hear everything that's being said. You can hear what the coaches are yelling. You can hear what the players are yelling. You don't have a band. You don't have PA music. You don't have fans screaming. Uh, and so you can hear a lot. And I don't know if you caught this on Tuesday night, but Christian Brown was teed up after he had a big dunk on a fast break against Kentucky. And then he turned around and you could hear him. I mean, usually you can read lips during games, but you could hear him go, yeah, bitch. And that was all it took. And he was teed up uh, faster than, than, than he could turn around. Uh, and so that happened. And then to kick off the second half, Bill Self was teed up. And literally all he I've heard Bill Self yell a lot of things. Literally all he said after a foul call was, are you kidding me? That's all he said. And he got teed up. So I think that's partially the referees are pretty sensitive right now. But it also just means that not only can we we hear everything, but the referees can hear everything as well. You know, I, yeah, I missed I saw the T on Christian Christian Brown. 
Um, but I love that fire out of him. You don't expect yeah. it. I mean, I, you've seen it in parts last season and this season, uh, but I love that little fire out of him. He kind of just seems like one of those guys that uh, maybe you could get under some other players' skins a little bit, you know, but uh, loved the fire, Bill. I mean, that's not going to be his last tee. It also makes me realize I like the pumped-in crowd noise. I do. I know it, it may not sound incredibly authentic, but I think it makes it not sound so hollow. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And I like going back to your point about Christian Brown. Uh, I mean, this kid is from Burlington, Kansas. I mean, he's from <laughs> right down the road uh, yeah. from Lawrence. And I just loved watching him dunk over one of the blue chippers. Yeah, he smashed that too. Yeah. And then turn around and, and, and just go, yeah, bitch, you know, <laughs> and, but it was obviously quiet enough that the referees, which normally probably wouldn't hear that because he didn't scream it. He just he literally just turned around and, and he just said, yeah, bitch. And that was it. And he got teed up and, but yeah, I agree with you. Love the fire out of Christian Brown. And it's just, uh, it, it's, it's a different world where now when we're at home watching college basketball, we can hear everything that's that's going on out on the court and one of the funniest things that i i saw uh after the game was john calipari who he was yet which i i actually really like john calipari a lot he's a really entertaining guy to watch um but he was yelling at one of his players and i think he had gotten kind of physical and had fouled one of the kansas players and calipari yells from across the court hey this isn't football you can't tackle him which you would never hear that at any right. other time. I just thought that was great. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, and you're going to hear a lot more of that throughout the year. So, you know, we've got a, a little bit of a glimpse of it now and uh, you're going to catch it a whole lot more. You know, I went and watched a, I sat at the 50 yard line of like row three of a KU football game about, uh, I don't know, probably four years ago, three years ago, maybe. And yep. my wife was blown away by being able just how much you could hear all the being right on the sideline, hearing everything that they were saying and, and what those football coaches were like and energy. So yep. uh, it, it, I think that's a fun aspect that, that a lot of times fans miss. Well, before we totally wrap up the show and move away from the finally funny, I'm going to, you're going to have to play the role here of the tiebreaker. I didn't tell you about this ahead of time, um, but I, I created a survey on Twitter uh, yesterday afternoon. I don't know if you saw it, but I, I was trying to get votes on who has the better hairstyle to kick off the college hoop season in this COVID world. Is it Shaka Smart, who's now rocking the big fro? I don't know if you've seen Shaka. He yeah, doesn't man. have a bald head anymore. Or is it John Calipari, who still has a slick back look, but it's a lot longer now, and it's almost by borderline mullet. I mean, it's definitely like mafioso kind of look. So who's got the better hair? So I put the survey out and it is exactly tied 50% to 50%. So you've got to be the tiebreaker. Who's got the better hair? Yo, I got to give the nod to John Calipari. Shaka smart. What are you doing? My guy, that is just so bad. It's funny to me that he is growing that out because he was bald for a reason. Like clearly he was shaving his head for a reason. Um, Cause it's a fro, but he's, Kind he he's kind of got a receding hairline with a fro in the back. Yeah. Not the best look for Shaka Smart. At least That's John Calipari's got a nice head of hair. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if he lost a bet or something with his players or something like that. There's got to be some story to what 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 Shaka Smart's got going on right now. 
I mean, I didn't get a haircut for probably three months when COVID first started, but I eventually went back to the barber and got it cut. And especially if I'm going to be on national television, um, you know, I, I probably need to look a little bit more presentable. Hopefully that's just temporary there for Shaka Smart. That's going to wrap things up for Keeper of the Games on this episode. Uh, and I know it's been a little bit of a longer episode. We had a lot to get to this week. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's now that we're, you know, we got basketballs, College basketball season, college football season, Chiefs going. We've we've got a lot of info, and we had a lot of we had some baseball talk today too. So lots to unpack. Absolutely, we'll have again another recap of the week that was in college basketball. Uh, of course, the Chiefs again play on Sunday night football, so we'll talk about that next week. A lot more coming up on the next episode. Again, I want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode, you'll get a notification. Again, you can listen on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, all the major ones. Go to our website, cogsports.com, kogsports.com, and watch uh, full videos on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the games and follow us on twitter and instagram at cog pod that's at k-o-g pod weston what is your twitter handle at w mills 94 you can follow me anytime at tweets from tommy until next time for weston mills i'm tommy caster you've been listening to keeper of the games take care guys you've been listening to keeper of the games with tommy caster and weston mills don't forget to subscribe download and listen on all major podcast platforms like itunes google play spotify stitcher and more find the podcast and videos on facebook and youtube at keeper of the games and follow the podcast on twitter and instagram at cog pod that's k-o-g pod 